tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's Tuesday, July 4th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. Today, folks, I have a story to tell you. Back on July 4th of 1967, a man named Hugh Redmond was locked up in a Chinese prison. On occasion, his captors had allowed him to write his family back in New York City, and on Independence Day of 1967, he did. And he wrote this. It just dawned on me, he said, that today is the 4th of July. Did you have a big celebration with fireworks and all? As was typical of Hugh, he went on to ask how his mother was doing, the latest in the world of sports, especially baseball, and he wanted to know how his nephews were doing. Don't forget, he said, to buy ice cream for the children. He then closed out that final letter saying, very best regards to you all. Love, Hugh. Unfortunately, his family never heard from him again. Three years later, the communist government in Beijing claimed that he had died of suicide. But Hugh's family did not believe that story. His colleagues in the U.S. government, they didn't believe it either. To this day, what exactly happened to Hugh Redmond remains a mystery. And so on this July 4th of 2023, we are going to go back in time to that July 4th of 1967. We're going to remember and celebrate Hugh Francis Redmond, the man who grew up in New York City back in the 1920s and the 1930s. And then by telling his story, we will eventually understand how it was that he ended up in a Chinese prison cell for 15 years. But I'll give you a hint now. He was accused of being a CIA officer. And truth is, he was. He was a secret intel officer conducting sabotage operations against the communists. And eventually, he died for it. So that incredible story, ladies and gentlemen, of sacrifice and love of country is up next on this special Independence Day episode of The Right Report. Hugh Francis Redmond. He was born in Yonkers, New York, back in October of 1919. By all accounts, Hugh was a fairly average young man, a decent athlete, but nothing remarkable stood out about him, at least not at the time, just a decent all-American kid. Well, after he finished high school, he tried a little bit of college, lasted one semester, but he decided to join the Civilian Conservation Corps, or CCC. That was the uh, Depression-era program for unmarried men that did lots of important work for improving public land. But when the war broke out in Europe, He enlisted in the Army like so many others, and he went on to serve in the famed 101st Airborne Division. On D-Day, June 6th of 1944, he parachuted in near the Douvre River. Of the 20 paratroopers in his group, he was the only one who escaped both death and wounds. Well, he stayed on in Europe, engaging in a fair number of other battles, but his luck eventually ran out in the Battle of the Bulge. He was wounded and hospitalized for a year. 
He was then discharged in late 1945. He had a Purple Heart, a Silver Star, and a Bronze Star with Oak Leaf Clusters. Within a couple of months of getting out of the hospital, he heard about a new government agency. It was called the Strategic Services Unit. Later, it was renamed the Office of Strategic Services. For my historians out there, that might ring a bell because we now call it the Central Intelligence Agency. Well, Hugh applied to that agency, that special service, and he was accepted. Now, because of his background, he joined a, a unique part of the CIA called the Special Activities Division. Right? These are the men and women who then, as now, tend to be pretty good at, well, blowing things up and killing folks rather than going to, say, cocktail parties. So, after CIA training back in 1946, Hu was then sent to Shanghai, China for his very first post. And my goodness, what a time to be there. The civil war between the communists and the nationalists was igniting up once again, and the White House was watching with some pretty serious anxiety. They needed CIA's clandestine boots on the ground, and so Langley sent in Hugh. Now, he had a cover job, you know, telling people, in fact, that he was a, a salesman of ice cream machines. But Hugh was anything but an ice cream salesman. In fact, what has been declassified about his work is that he set up a spying of Chinese citizens who opposed the communists, and that spying conducted sabotage operations as well as collected intel. And Hugh organized and directed it all, sending back results to Washington, D.C. Well, Hugh was in China for about five years doing all of that, when in April of 1951, things in the country were going from bad to worse. The Civil War was ending. The communists were defeating the nationalists who fled to Taiwan, where their descendants remain to this day. Well, as that Civil War was coming to an end, mainland China was awash with a, a fever for revenge. There was a total suspicion of, of foreigners, especially businessmen and missionaries. So the CIA ordered him out. In fact, he got a secret message via his covert communication system late one night at a one single code word, and that sent, uh, signaled immediate evacuation. So Hugh very quickly got his things together and made his way to the port in Shanghai. He bought a ticket and was walking towards the ramp to get onto his ship back to America. But as he did with that ship to San Francisco, just feet in front of him, Chinese police grabbed him. Now, why they targeted Hugh, or should I say how he was discovered, we're still not sure. Suspicion fell almost immediately on a Russian woman who, much to the CIA's surprise, had actually married Hugh some period of time before. Now, whether or not she had something to do with his arrest, we don't know, but we do know this. Hugh disappeared, and it would be years before anyone heard from him again. With that, let's take our first break of the morning before I tell you what comes next in the life and journey of Hugh Redman. So enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue this morning with our special Independence Day report on Hugh Redman, a CIA officer who was captured by the Chinese government back in 1951. Now, before the break, we learned that Hugh was an agency operative, a CIA officer who, uh, well, he went to China. But because of the Civil War, they sent him a secret message to come home. But as he tried to do so, Chinese police grabbed him. 
To this day, we're not sure how they discovered who he really was, but regardless, Hugh disappeared. Well, when Hugh failed to show up, you can imagine that his family back in New York was absolutely distraught. His mother, Ruth, called and wrote a bunch of letters to the U.S. government asking for an update, anything at all, but they had nothing to tell her. The U.S. embassy and all the consulates were closed, their Chinese networks all gone, and obviously Hugh no longer had his covert communication system. And so from 1951 to 1953, Hugh's family heard virtually nothing other than confirmation once that, yes, he had been arrested and detained somewhere. Well, after two years of silence, the U.S. government got a clue about Hugh's fate. A German citizen who had been in a a, a jail cell back in Shanghai said that he had actually been in a cell next to Hugh. And he reported that Hugh was being questioned about all sorts of things, most especially about conducting espionage for the CIA. But Hugh said it wasn't true. Now, at first, apparently, the Chinese were pretty patient with Hugh and his denials, but in time, they turned to torture. Now, even still, we know now to this day that Hugh didn't break in the midst of that torture. He stuck with his cover story of being involved in ice cream, all despite the fact that he was tortured. Well, then back in uh, September of 1954, three years after he had been captured, the Chinese government announced that Hugh was in fact a prisoner. He was alive and he had been tried and convicted of spying. The sentence was life in prison. Well, as punishment for Hugh's refusal to admit the truth, the Chinese government not only gave him life imprisonment, they gave him actually just enough food to keep him alive, but not enough to thrive. So he lost a tremendous amount of weight and whatever teeth that they hadn't actually yanked out, the rest fell out from malnourishment. Well, as the years passed, the Chinese did allow Hugh a few more freedoms. They let him uh, read some books. He taught himself how to speak Chinese and Russian, Spanish, Italian, and French. He fell in love with books talking about science and the latest theories in physics. He became apparently pretty fond of the classics and things like philosophy and art. Well, by the mid-1950s, Beijing started to allow Hugh a few more liberties to include writing his family and receiving letters in kind. In fact, his first letter was in about 1955, when he wrote to his family for a request. He wanted some clothes, some heavy woolen clothes. That's because winter had arrived, and as Hugh explained, the communist government didn't give him anything to protect himself from the weather. In fact, he ended that first note with these words. I'm sending all my love to you and everybody back home. Keep your fingers crossed for me. Love, Huey. The letters to and from Huey and his family continued throughout the 1950s. His mother, Ruth, could send him an increasing number of items like Lucky Strike cigarettes and powdered milk and candies. But above all else, Hugh wanted books and uh, stuff about sports columns, especially baseball. Hugh also asked about his wife, the Russian that I mentioned earlier. Well, his mother knew the truth, but didn't want to tell him. And the fact is that the wife had divorced Hugh years prior and then disappeared. At one point, Beijing actually allowed Ruth to visit her son Hugh in prison. For propaganda purposes, they gave him a suit and a set of dentures to make up for those that they had actually pulled out. The visit, as you would imagine, was quite bittersweet. She pleaded for his release, but the communist government refused. And the U.S. government? They were either, well, unable or unwilling to get him out. 
Now that last part, the unwilling part, is because some people argue, even now, that there was an an era underway at that time to re-engage with the Chinese, and the U.S. government didn't want to upset that process by acknowledging Hugh and his service of sabotage. And so Hugh sat. Well, the window to save Hugh started to close in the 1960s, and that was because the Cold War was firmly underway and the Vietnam War was raging too. And those events made the Chinese government pretty reluctant to grant any kind of clemency or compassion to a CIA spy. And it was during that era, on that July 4th of 1967, that Hugh wrote that note that I talked to you about, asking his family about how they were for the very last time. For what it's worth, the CIA did try a couple of times to get him out. The final attempt was back in 1968, 17 years after Hugh was first imprisoned. They enlisted some famous people to say that they were pooling together their money for a ransom payment to Beijing to get Hugh out. In fact, one famous person lent their name to the effort. It was baseball legend Jackie Robinson. Unfortunately, though, uh, that plan failed. China ultimately was not interested in America's money. And then the sad news arrived, according to the Chinese government anyway. Hugh killed himself on the evening of April 13th of 1970. They claimed they rushed him to the hospital, but that, uh, well, it was too late. Now, what's suspicious is that the Chinese quickly cremated Hugh's body, placed the ashes in an urn, and then, curiously, handed that urn to another captive and released that man instead. When news arrived back in the U.S. along with the ashes, nobody believed the story, right? Not Hugh's family, not his CIA colleagues, and not the U.S. government. But nobody had any way of proving or disproving their suspicions, their beliefs. In fact, they didn't even have a way to confirm that the ashes inside the urn were indeed Hugh's. There was even some suspicion that Hugh was still alive, but that China wanted to just put an end to the public fight over his status. So they declared him dead and disappeared him. Regardless, his family had nothing left to do but bury his alleged remains, and they did so. They went to Yonkers, Oakland Cemetery. That was on August 3rd of 1970 that they buried him, 19 years after he had first been captured. And on his headstone, the family engraved five words that they thought best fit Hugh's life. And those words were these, his country above all else. The CIA, for its part, chiseled a new star on its marble wall of stars. In fact, each of those stars signify an officer who died in the line of duty. Some of those stars have names associated with them. Others don't, all because their affiliation with the CIA has to be kept secret. And that was the case with Hugh. In fact, they didn't list his name or confirm his intel affiliation until the year 2000. And it was then, at a ceremony that year, that CIA colleagues finally publicly acknowledged Hugh as one of their own and honored his service and sacrifice with one of those stars. In attendance at that ceremony was a man named Bill McKinley, and that was pretty special. Bill was one of Hugh's nephews, one of the boys that always got ice cream, especially on the 4th of July, and all because Uncle Huey made sure of it. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's special episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. It's a personal reflection on this story of sacrifice and love of country. 
So enjoy this next break, remembering that if you don't hear my voice on these next messages, I don't endorse it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. Talking this morning about the sacrifice and love of country of Hugh Redmond, who was a CIA officer who was held captive by the Chinese government for nearly 20 years. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I sit in awe at the idea of being locked up for 20 years, tortured, my teeth yanked out of my mouth, because I refused to abandon the mission, to violate my oath of secrecy. My goodness, how much love of country did Hugh Redman have flowing through his veins that he was so willing to stick to that commitment? From my perspective, it's a story that should be told far and wide. But there's also another reason for that beyond the fact that, well, Hugh Redman was a and he is a former CIA officer that I celebrate and remember this morning. Two months ago, the U.S. Department of Education released test results of the nation's eighth graders after asking them about U.S. civics, things like our history, democracy, our culture, and our role in the world. Well, only 14% of our young people are able to pass that test, right? And that is the lowest number since the test was first administered back in 1994. So is it any surprise then that last week we got another set of data, this uh, time from a uh, organization called the Gallup Organization, that showed the number of Americans who are extremely proud to be an American is at a historical low. Now, interestingly, Democrats and the young are the least proud to be American, but even amongst the young, there's a really interesting division, right? 42% of young Republicans call themselves extremely proud to be an American, 12% of young Democrats say the same. Again, 42% of Republicans who are young versus 12% of young Democrats. In other words, we've got a collapse in a basic understanding of America's history and culture. Again, that 14% of our kids who can pass the test. And that, of course, is then leading to a lack of pride in being American. Plus, we've got this very clear partisan division on this issue. Republicans uh, apparently tend to love their country, but Democrats don't. So we should ask ourselves, why? Why is all that happening? Moreover, why is this issue important? Is it important? Well, regarding why it's happening, I would love for members of our press to ask teachers why so few kids in this country appear to know about their country. And second, I'd love for Democrat leaders to answer for why so many of their party members are so infrequently proud to be an American. But whatever the answers are, we need to get to the bottom of it. And we need to be honest about it because it matters very much. And let me tell you why. And I'm going to offer this to you as a former CIA officer who has watched countries both thrive and eventually collapse based on this issue. You see, when citizens are invested in their country, when they no longer feel pride in being a part of it, then something else or someone else will eventually fill that void. And that's because people are tribal. And I have seen this everywhere around the world. People like to belong, to have a, a tribe or a community or a movement to attach themselves to. It gives them identity and purpose. Let me give you one example. I saw it in the former Yugoslavia, which is a country in Eastern Europe that collapsed into civil war about 30 years ago. But for decades before the war, people of that country viewed themselves as Yugoslav, actually. But as the years passed by, 
there was a growing series of movements amongst the people to instead identify first as being, say, Croatian or Serbian or Bosnian, their historical roots, in other words, not Yugoslav. Right? Then something important happened. The longtime leader of that country died. It was a man named Josef Tito. And then the country started falling apart, pulled apart by those old historical roots. Right? It happened slowly at first and then quickly. Ultimately, the civil war there cost tens of thousands of people their lives. In fact, families slaughtered each other because they had intermarried in the years prior, say between a Bosnian or a Croatian, but those familial ties weren't strong enough. Those historical roots took primacy. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a diverse society like Yugoslavia or America, you have to have something that binds you together. Otherwise, something else creeps in to pull you apart. And that's something to keep us together is a love of country. It's a belief that America is exceptional, even with all of our problems. And we get back to that, to that love of country, by doing stuff we used to do, like starting the school day with a Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, or having U.S. history lessons by teachers who actually love America. It's also about having a political system where, Democrat or Republican, you're committed to telling each other and your followers that differences aside, we live in an awesome country. And if you disagree, move to North Korea and good luck. But I'll tell you, I also think this moment about reigniting the flame of, of love of country, it's ultimately about moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles who encourage kids in their families to keep learning and to keep loving their country by telling them stories about men like Hugh Francis Redmond or women like Virginia Hall, who was a CIA officer who posed as an elderly farmhand in Europe during World War II. She organized spy networks and smuggled supplies to resistance fighters. In fact, she was so good at her job that the Nazis called her, quote, the most dangerous of all allied spies. End quote. Right? That is the stuff that we need to be talking about on this Independence Day. Right? Those are the people we ought to celebrate to rebuild that pride and cohesion of the country. Because if we don't, I fear for the future. History has taught me that. Yugoslavia has taught me that. So let's celebrate today, shall we? Let's do our part to tell everybody around us that we are proud to be an American. Let's raise up that memory of, of people like Hugh Redmond and so many like him who had that, that tenacity of spirit, that love of country, that unbreakable commitment to America that we celebrate today. Right, that is what will drive my joy today, ladies and gentlemen. And I hope that after this right report, it drives just a little bit of your joy today, too. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in-person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 